We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to the AFC East Roundup pre-summer vacation. That's right, Chris. It's a celebration. This, to me, you think about where we are in the NFL football season, this really does feel to me the way the last week of high school felt. When you think about where we are in the summer with everything in front of us, it's like that last week where you're like, well, we took all of our tests. I really don't have anything else to do. I don't even think I need to listen to anybody anymore. Yeah. You start questioning things like, would people even notice if I just didn't show up? Yeah. It's like at that point, you're an adult. You can do whatever the hell you want. I'm 18. (laughs) I graduated. I can do what I want. Well, sir, you don't have your diploma. That doesn't matter. Nah. You can mail it to me. You can mail it to me. No, I, I mean, you went to a fancy private school, so I'm sure they brought it. I'm sure they delivered it to your house on a red satin pillow with some gold trim, right? Uh, I don't know about that. You know, my parents are coming up uh, in about a month. Maybe I should tell them to bring my yearbooks. Oh, my God. If your parents could bring your high school yearbooks, it would be the greatest thing Twitter has ever seen. Probably. You know, I was class clown junior and senior year. You know that class clown is a superlative that they give away? They're like, this is the kid who's funny but good-natured enough to not really hurt anybody's feelings, and that makes him wholesome and entertaining. You know, the other superlative that I campaigned, I had to campaign for another superlative. I didn't get it. I should have, though. But uh, one of the superlatives they came up with, I think my senior year, was, like, coolest car. Now, mind you, where I part, like, this is who parked next to me, was I had my, I had a 93 Nissan Maxima in high school with a giant dent on the side of it. Like, I think it was on the opposite side of the gas tank. And I, I, found, I don't know who gave it to me, but I found this giant 
sticker. It was literally like a f- two feet long, and it was of a Band-Aid. And I just put it on the dent. <laughs> so I just drove around with this 93 Maxima with a Band-Aid, a Band-Aid sticker over the dent. person that parked next to me, Molly, drove a Lexus IS300. Next to her, Shay, he drove a Chrysler Prowler. So there was a superlative, like, coolest car, and I tried to campaign for my car to win that superlative, and it didn't get voted. Because I don't have, it's not a Lexus or a See, now I need to see this yearbook, because I swear to God, if the Prowler won, the thing was like a, it was like a cheese wedge with wheels. <laughs> like, yeah. that car sucked. That car sucked ass. That, that might have been the car that won. Oh, my I'd God. To, I'd have to look through the Your yearbook. mother is going to have to bring these yearbooks, because, Chris, I'm not going to rest until I resolve this in my head now. Prowlers were garbage. For those of you out there listening to this, Prowlers were and always will be the worst. They're right up there with Fox Body Mustangs as the most annoying vehicle styles to ever exist. That and PT Cruisers. You could take those three vehicles, put them on a rocket, launch it right into the sun. World would be a better place for it. I'll text my mom. Tell her to bring my yearbooks. <sighs> but it's summertime, folks. We're getting into the swing of things. Recreational sports are starting up. People are taking trips and doing more outside. And you can find me rollerblading at the Outer Harbor. Jesus Shirtless. Christ. I'm going to be spending... A, if, Look, Chris, what are your plans for the summer break? Hockey. Hockey and rollerblading shirtless at the marina. Yeah. Gotta I hope... Got to get that base tan. I can only pray. I can only pray that there's some father out there who, like me, has seen the movie Big Daddy and thinks that it's funny and wants to teach their kid, like, hey, look, you see what this man's doing? It's not acceptable. And here's how we send that message and just throws a stick in front of you. No, that hasn't happened yet. Well, there's all, hey, fingers yeah, crossed. Yeah, yeah. Just you see me at the Outer Harbor rollerblading with exceptional hair and orange wheels. Throw me a holla. Yeah, throw him a stick, folks. Throw him a stick directly in front of him. For me, I'm going to be spending copious amounts of time in front of my smoker this summer. I've been, I've decided that this is the year I'm really going to get. I'm going to get balls deep in this. I mean, I've got a barbecue list made for 2021. Bunch of firsts I want to check off. Uh, I'm going to try to make barbacoa, actual barbacoa, not chuck steak that's just shredded. I'm going to do a whole turkey. You know, I'm going to try that. Um, I'm going to do at least three or four briskets, and I'm going to experiment with some different rubs, even though I prefer Texas style. Just a little SP. I do a dirty Dalmatian rub, a little salt, pepper, and mostly salt and pepper with a little hint of garlic and onion powder. I know that doesn't mean anything to you because you don't know how to cook or grill or whatever. I have onion powder and garlic powder in... You have a grill. I'm going to teach you how to grill this summer. I'm adding that to my list. I don't have a grill. My girlfriend has a grill. Okay, and I'm going to teach you both how to use it. All right, I've already used it. I used it today. Yeah, poorly, probably. No, I went over there because our schedules are all screwed up, so I I haven't been able to see her as much. So I went over there, and we made Zweigels on the grill. Hot dogs. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. You're blowing the doors off, people, Chris. Yeah, what do you want me to have, a brisket for lunch? Oh, I'm going to cook a porterhouse steak for lunch. Go get some sausage, uh-huh. some sun-dried tomato and basil sausage, or uh, maybe a... I hate you. Sun-dried sausage. Who's going to make that shit? Johnsonville? I'll have you know. You probably get, you probably get your, your sausage is probably Johnsonville. 
It comes from the Sloan Market, the same place that gets Japanese A5 Wagyu beef. No, you're, you're clearly a yeah, ballpark yeah. and Johnsonville sauce. Actually, we established that Bruce Nolan was the ballpark hot dog guy. He said he likes Hebrew National and ballpark, and I just, it made me cry inside. I'm like, you're such a smart person. How could you be so dumb about this one aspect of life? Salins, Zweigels, Hoffman's, and if you give me Nathan's hot dogs, I'll just throw them in the trash for you. And then, in what I think might be the most interesting listeners out there, we're flirting with the idea, but we're putting it together. Chris, I'm forming a barbecue team. A barbecue team. My buddy Joe from Softball. Uh, we call him Taco Joe. And cover one's Aaron Quinn. We've been kicking around the idea of the three of us getting together, doing a couple cooks, sharpening. Like a, gr- like a grill off? Like No, no. Like a team. Like a team effort. And then at the end of summer, once you know things are back in the swing and barbecue festivals start to open up again and competitions start coming back, finding an amateur competition and rolling and seeing how we do. Take the whole summer, do a couple practice cooks. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, speaking of that, doing a competition, there's something that happens. I'm sure it still happens at Stone Mountain down in Atlanta because my cousin has done it a couple times. They do a chili cook-off. I know you're pretty big on your chili during football season once fall fall starts to hit. You should go down to Atlanta and compete in that chili cook-off at Stone Mountain. I'll bring my Reaper chili. It is the most unique thing because everyone who eats it says, there's Reaper pepper in this? I go, yeah, five whole Reaper peppers. And they expect it to scorch their, just scorch the flesh right off their skull. And they start eating it and they go, what's this sweet kind of flavor in the back? I go, no, that's the Reaper pepper. And they go, well, it's hot. I don't need to add hot sauce to it, but it's a nice heat. And it's a slow building heat that never really peaks. I go, yeah. Because I'm a goddamn professional when it comes to chili. I know how to harness the power of that Reaper pepper and make it work for me. That's it. And it results in one of the most flavorful chilies on earth. I'm, I might take you. I'm going to start getting chili cook-offs. Yeah. Anybody out there, you know of a good chili cook-off at Rock Pile Report. Let us know on Twitter. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna I step through the arena. I think that might be your like go-to after like grilling meats or smoking meats. I think right behind that is you doing chili would be your your number two thing. One of the funniest things I'm gonna find the video and put it on Twitter. My wife took a video of me hammered after a Bills game, showing her how I took an existing chili and I was adding Reaper to it, and I'm I'm drunk in a beater in my kitchen. And I'm cutting, I'm showing her how I slice the, she's taping how I slice the, she's like, you're like a drunken Gordon Ramsay right now because you're in detail explaining how you core this Reaper and you slice it very finely and you throw it in the pot and here's how long it has to cook in order to properly render off. She goes, and then like the drunk idiot you are, you just took the stem with a bunch of Reaper peppers still attached to it and popped it in your mouth out of habit. Out of habit, just popped it in my mouth, and it set me on fire, and I fell on the floor, and she says it's the funniest video she has. I'm going to find it, put it on Twitter, at Rockpile Report. Go check that out. But so with all of that in mind, before people tune out on football for the summer, I think it's worth a circle back with the AFC's Roundup crew to see how each fan base is feeling as we head into this barren football wasteland that is summertime. And so with that, we kick this conversation off with the New York Jets, and as we're talking about school being out for summer, we're talking to somebody who's home for summer from school, Mr. Kyle Fahey, 
of the Jet Take podcast. Look, are we are we still doing? I'm in college now. I mean, this is not like you can just throw the young thing in my face here anymore. Like this is this is a little different. You're pursuing a bachelor's degree, okay? You're not in a high school that still has timeouts. I'm not. No, Kyle. I got to tell you, it's it's refreshing to get to talk to you after all these years because I remember when you were like this cocky 16, 17 year old kid. And you would come on our podcast for some trumped up bits that we essentially set up for you to fail. And you knew it, and you still came into it anyway. And I always appreciate that about you. I always appreciate it. Never failed. For the record, never failed. (laughs) I think the only time you've been on the show, I think it was like episode 63, we did a segment called Rockpile Report Court. And Fahey, this is where you can, you're going to eat a ton of crow here. The crux of the Rock Pile Report court was that Kyle Fahey, pro-Patrick Mahomes, through gear, anti-Patrick Mahomes. Who eats the L now? And that's... Listen, listen. I've... Patrick Mahomes is just about the only thing I can cling on to nowadays in terms of uh, just quarterback evaluation because clearly very wrong on Josh Allen, but I'm more than happy to be back on my bullshit and talk about how he had a ton of interceptions dropped last year. We'll get to that at some point. Justin Herbert really fucked me last year during the draft evaluation. I don't know what Oregon did wrong with that kid. That dude sucked in Oregon. I'll stand by my evaluation there. 4.0 GPA academic Heisman clearly does translate to the NFL because that dude's a baller now. Just about every other quarterback you can imagine I was wrong on. Sam Darnold, I mean, Josh Rosen, Justin Herbert. I mean, you name them, I was probably wrong on them. But Patrick Mahomes, maybe the greatest quarterback of all time, I got dead on. And, and I'll you, fucking ride that to the bank. And you destroyed me now in retrospect. Like, that was a momentary victory that I'll look back on, and it's pretty hollow. For those of you who don't remember, I mean, Kyle Fahey, he, he was not just not just a Jets podcaster, but he was a part of, almost an integral part of the AFC East Bros podcast lineage. Like you, Classic. It was classic throwback. I mean... Can, do you still remember all the times you and Gary from AFC East Pros would just fight and argue and battle over things? Yeah, I I, uh, I talk to Kyle Smith every now and then, who's obviously Gary's brother, for those who don't know. And it, it's still, I think, on site. I think Gary still does want to fight me. Oh, listen, and, uh, I consider I've matured getting, a bit. Well, I consider getting I you fo- on the show and then mid-conversation, bringing Gary in with some Stone Cold Steve Austin music behind him just so he can fight with you again. But I didn't Listen, I, do. Th- I welcome any man. I don't. I don't fear anyone. I fear God. <laughs> I mean, I'm not actively looking to fight people. But you know, I love Gary it. knows where I live. I, I love the fact that Chris, a cage fighter, was threatening to fight a 16 year old kid. You know what that is? That's frustration over the fact that he he had valid points and Gary didn't have anything <laughs> else except for his giant biceps. <laughs> got so, big arms. So I gotta ask, how's life now? I mean, you've gone from being this kid we used to podcast with to you're an actual adult now. You're you're a, yeah. You're scary, adult now. right? You can almost buy alcohol. You're on break from from college. Like, yeah. what, what is this? Life's good. Uh, maturing. Uh, I have hair on my balls now, so that's a little different. You guys didn't prep me for that. Um, college is good. Doing really well on a roll. That good shit. Work, working with USF football. I honestly don't know if I'm allowed to say that on here, but uh, I'm like an intern there. So it's going good. Um, overwhelmingly happy. Here's, here's, I didn't hear, 
Here's one of my favorite parts about Kyle. My wife still has a crush on him. To this day, my wife... The feeling's mutual. The feeling is very mutual. <laughs> my wife... I, I think remember, I made that very obvious as a 16-year-old. I'm oh, not backing down absolutely. now. Absolutely. I remember you used to hit on my wife, and my wife would be like, Kyle Fahey's going to be president one day. She's like, I'm just like, what are you talking about? She's like, you should just keep his... Get his phone number. Just like, find a way to keep in touch with him. It's like, what are you yeah, talking you, you, about? You get the phone number, Drew. Just, yeah. yeah. Just get the phone get number. The phone What's number. happening here? I was like, am I being cucked by, file, by Kyle Fahey? Is this really happening? No. She we don't said kink you, shame on the podcast. So. She said that you were so, just in the way you speak, she goes, for a 16-year-old kid, I've never heard anyone who speaks this this concisely, who makes valid points, who holds his own when he's being confronted with an argument by people much older than him. If much, you think, Jack, although, if although you think really, Jack could get there, you're dead wrong. Although, really, if I'm shirtless and drunk yelling, I'm sure he had the intellectual high ground, Chris, and all of those early conversations. Kyle, did you feel sure. that way when we used to podcast together early on? From time to time, I definitely felt like you guys were playing on an unlevel field. Uh, it was kind of like MetLife Stadium almost when the 49ers were there. Like, it just wasn't fair to you guys. You know, you just you walk in with a torn ACL. <laughs> oh, so with this in mind, the theme of tonight's conversation is we're talking about NFL summer vacation and fan bases getting themselves ready for it and just what the mindset is around their respective football teams. So first of all, for you, your plans. I mean, you're a content producer, and yet you—it's—it's it's the summer. You have your own stuff right. going on. There's nothing happening in the NFL. What What are your plans for the NFL summer vacation? Well, one, I'm definitely going to enjoy not watching the Jets lose. I think that's been very enjoyable since the season ended. Uh, actually, let me rephrase that. It's going to be very enjoyable not seeing the Jets win two meaningless games at the end of the year. That was. <laughs> That was the worst part of the season by far. It was um, one of those in terms games, of summer, those games are I'm, two of the most satisfying things I've ever watched because I'm like, these crazy sons of bitches might do it. Are they win. might actually yeah. go out there and do it. I mean, they almost did it a couple times, like both New England games, um, the Raiders game where they literally lost on the last play of the game. Uh, the Jets were like legitimately like a five or six win team last year, even with Adam Gase, just as a heads up to you guys. So I don't know what that means for the future. But uh, I plan, in terms of the summer, I plan on watching a lot of film on the best of the best. And like we were saying about the quarterbacks earlier, you know, I got to find a way to see how these traits actually translate to the next level, and I'm going to do that by watching the best of the best. So that's, that's my plan for the summer, just put a bunch of really good film out there. Besides that, you know, I live in Florida for a reason. I'm going to tan. I'm going to go to the beach and enjoy myself, get my freak on. <laughs> it is what it is. Chris, now again, when I'm looking at him on camera and I'm hearing him say I'm going to get my freak on, all I can think of is who's the kid from that, well, what is it, uh, 16 Candles? I, no, I don't know. I got to get laid. Yo, I got to get laid. That's all I can think of. Fahey reminds me of McLovin. No, he's what much. First of all, he's I much. I get that so fucking often. He's much. I get that all the he, fucking time. He's much handsomer than that guy. I mean, he, Faye, there's a reason my wife is. There's a reason my wife digs you. So, with that in mind, I take a look back and I ask the question: Sitting where your team does, the fan bases feel about the teams it's presently constructed and the roster today. You know, the draft's over. The 90-man roster is pretty much, for most teams, fairly in place. I mean, practices have already started for most franchises. When you look at the roster today, 
compared to where it was last year in 2020 at the same time, pre-camp, we're all just getting a feel for it. What's your feeling in terms of, I mean, are you optimistic? Do you think that they've done a good enough job of changing enough about the team from where they were at this point last year to make them more relevant in 2021? Yeah, I would definitely say Douglas and company have done a good enough job of that. And I think one, uh, it starts with the O-line. Obviously, a lot of people didn't like the Elijah Vera Tucker trade-up. Say what you want about the value there. I personally couldn't care less because we haven't seen the dude play the snap. Like, he could be a Hall of Famer. And then you're talking about two third-round picks that you traded up. Like, we have absolutely no idea what the dude's going to be. But I, I think pretty positively of him as a left guard in general. I think that's a big upgrade. Um you know, last year they brought in George Fant. They obviously drafted Becton. They bring in Elijah Vera Tucker. They signed Connor McGovern last year. Joe Douglas almost immediately try and built a foundation on this offensive line to help the quarterback that definitely needed to be saved from himself in the pocket. And obviously that didn't work out with Sam Darnold. And you bring in Zach Wilson, so that's also an upgrade. Um, offensively, if we want to talk about weapons, if you look at how the Jets' wide receiving core was to start the year last year, very bad. You can. You I'm can go looking ahead and at those. I have. I have your 2020 depth chart up in front of me right now. Brashad yeah. Perryman, right. Chris Hogan, Jamison right. Crowder, Braxton Berrios, right. Something named Josh Malone. I don't even know what that is. Yeah. Uh, Denzel Mims, who was on the IR to he start the season. Yeah. Lawrence Cager, who was a rookie. I, this is there was no talent here. Fun fact: Chris Hogan played lacrosse. I don't know fun if fact, you, you knew that. Fun fact: Chris Hogan went undrafted in the lacrosse league this offseason. He no longer plays in the NFL, and he couldn't get drafted in the uh, whatever the lacrosse league is called, whatever their abbreviation is. I think it's but an MLL. Yeah, I, Meanwhile, you look at it now: Denzel Mims, Corey Davis, Jameson Crowder. Your top three. Elijah Moore, change. Elijah change. Moore, maybe one of the more dynamic wide receiver prospects in this class. Keenan Cole, well, Keelan Cole. I don't know why I always put an end in there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you look at what they've done to the wide receiver core. Big upgrades. Just, it looks, I mean, the, the Miami Dolphins were promising big things. Elf Artiaga from three yards per carry was constantly talking about Oh, I could see them doing a, the the Dolphins doing a wholesale fire change. Eleven new players between running backs and wide receivers. The nope. Jets actually made a bigger overhaul than Miami did, and that's interesting yeah. because that's a team that the offense was just stagnant week after week after week. There was no, I mean, who who could have told you Brashad Perryman was going to be a dog? Yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely wasn't me the entire offseason telling Joe Douglas to re-sign Robbie Anderson and not supplement him with a below-average first-round reject from the team that he used to scout for. I mean, Joe Douglas definitely has a type on, you know, guys who he uh, wants to take risk on. You look about just about every player he's claimed, right? Like, and not in, like, actual free agency or anything, but, like, the very bottom of the barrel in free agency. It's usually a guy who, one, has played for the Ravens or the Eagles, two, was a first-round pick, or three, has a connection to the previous coach. And I'm sure there's a lot of NFL teams who fit that rule, but Joe Douglas clearly has a type. Rashard Perryman was the perfect example of that. But, yeah, continuing on with how they've upgraded, uh, you mentioned the receiving core. Obviously, I said the O-line, the quarterback. 
Uh, the running back room, they bring in Tevin Coleman. They draft Michael Carter. Um, obviously, last year, Adam Gase just as a scheme, you know, as the type of scheme that he ran as a coach, and then probably just the lack of effort that you saw from the team past, uh, I don't know, week two. Um, it's hard to run the football when your guys don't want to play for the head coach, right? And when you're talking about a purely effort-based skill and play call where are you going to bounce off this tackle? Are you going to run the extra three yards downfield as an offensive lineman? The Jets didn't have that last year, and I completely understand why. You add new juice to the room. Tevin Coleman obviously knows the offensive system. He spent time with uh, LaFleur and the 49ers. And then Makai Becton, who was really, really promising in his rookie year. You add Elijah Vera Tucker, who was very good as a run blocker at USC. And Michael Carter from UNC was one of the best running backs in the nation last year. Fun fact, when he ran between the left tackle and the left guard, and I guess that would technically be the B gap, um, when he ran between the B gap in 2020, he averaged 12.3 yards per carry, which was highest in the nation and his personal highest. So if you want to talk about pure talent fit and pure scheme fit with the guys around you, Michael Carter fits exactly what Joe Douglas is trying to build on a dominant left side. And then also, you know, protecting your quarterback's blind side because I think Joe Douglas fully understood that you know, both him and Mike McKagan did not do a good job of protecting Sam Darnold. You want to talk well, about the Patriots game on Monday Night Football, yeah. start for life, seeing ghosts, the Jaguars game directly after that, they do the exact same thing. It is all a culmination of not just Sam Darnold not being enough as a quarterback, but also not having the weapons to separate, where they can completely run man coverage, zero look blitz the entire game, and then not having the offensive line to protect them. And on top of having a quarterback who is coming off a of missing five weeks, right, in his second year with a new head coach and really doesn't have all that much game experience. And now you're putting him against Bill Belichick, the greatest defensive mind of our lifetimes. And then the Jaguars, who at the time had Calais Campbell, uh, young Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen, I should say, and unique Ngakwe. I mean, you're asking for this quarterback to fail. And oh, for sure. Did. So, and so then- Joe Douglas had saw the mistakes of the Jets franchise and is working to rectify them. See, and that scares me because it seems like you guys finally have a competent – If it seems yeah, like our division plan. very quickly filled up with competent GMs. Funny how that works, right? Well, well no, I would actually – no, I would say that it became unclear because the worst one by far is Belichick. Well, and that's we, it. We were just, like, yeah. The, yeah. the guy who had ruled the division for 20 years, all of a sudden, he looks like a boob by comparison to the guys around him. Yeah. And, and I, I would say Chris Chris Greer isn't far behind him, but we'll have to see how the season plays out. I'm we'll not personally high on Miami. And now this is where you just talked about Sam Darnold. When it comes to the quarterback position, this is right. one thing that I found incredibly interesting about Jets fans. Miami Dolphins fans will go to war over this idea that Tua Tungvaloviv... I watched his You're entire career in Alabama, and I still can't pronounce his last name. Tua Tungvaloviv. Yeah, Tonga Viola, Tonga Viola, probably not going to play in the NFL for that long. If he, if he replicates last year, he's probably not going to be around for much longer. So I don't need to learn. Fair enough. That's a, it's, I kid. But really, what this comes down to is they will go to war over hey, this guy. Yeah, he sucked last year and he got benched multiple times in must-win situations. But hey, and he failed the biggest test of all, which was going against backups in Buffalo. The final week of the season, costing the playoffs. Can I, can I rant about the Dolphins real quick? Am I allowed to do that? You can do whatever you want. Okay, I want to rant about the Dolphins real quick because I'm sure you guys saw it because I got quote tweeted and ratioed into hell over it. I said uh, 
that Brian Flores was the worst defensive coordinator in the division, who was a head coach. Because obviously all four of the guys are defensive coordinators. Now, obviously, people got mad at me about that. Mostly Miami Dolphins fans, but let's be real. Nobody's topping Bill Belichick, right? Brandon Breen has went to the playoffs two times with Tyrod Taylor and Josh Allen. Say what you want about whatever part of his game. And I know the defense is kind of underwhelmed from time to time for Buffalo. I mean, he made it with those two guys. He could probably make it with anybody. I think Robert Sala individually was a better defensive coordinator than Brian Flores ever was. I mean, if you look at his time with the Patriots, he was a D.C. for one season. He beat Jared Goofball in the Super Bowl. And the year after he left, they were the number one overall defense. And he wasn't there before that. And you talk about Miami last year, their entire defense thrived off of that Xavier Howard having one of the best individual corner seasons of all time. Then you talk about him as a head coach. I think he's actually done a really good job in getting a foundation there for Miami and at least making them relevant. But now you're seeing a complete mismanagement of the quarterback position where they bench Ryan Fitzpatrick. They don't tell the team, or at least from what we know, they didn't tell the team. You're starting to cut veterans now. Kyle Van Noy, gone. They're starting safety the other day. Bobby McCain, gone. Now you're relying on Javon Holland and Malik Hooker to play that like starting. <laughs> Malik Hooker is a guy role. who Lance Zerline. Good luck with that, guys. Lance Zerline. Good luck with that. He legitimately called him the next Ed Reed. And I said, I'll hate this kid forever now. I will root against his career. And I hate doing that, but I'll root against his career because you don't just call a rookie the goat. Well, he's had a lot of of injuries. Did that? he was never, uh, to be he, honest, I was never that big of a fan of him at Ohio State. But, Jamal Adams was always the superior safety. But so I guess my overarching point of this is that Dolphins fans will go to war over their young quarterback and say, well, bah, bah, right. bah, bah, bah. I don't hear any chirping from Jets fans about Zach Wilson. Well, um, I think a lot of that is we're, the Sam Darnold thing is still fresh in our minds, right? Like we talked a lot of shit about Sam Darnold. We talked a lot of shit about Josh Allen and every other quarterback in that class, and we were wrong. We fully understand we were wrong. We don't think it's all Sam Darnold's fault and his natural talent. I I still think Sam Darnold could potentially be good. It's very unlikely, given where he's at right now, the people he has around him and all those circumstances. Um, It takes a lot to humble New Yorkers. I think they've done it successfully. Also, it's kind of just I think there's actually a legitimate plan in place with the Jets, and I talked about this on the Jet Take a lot. Um, and how it's really refreshing that even in this Jets draft class, like the back end of it was all defense. The final five picks were all defense after Michael Carter, from the running back from North Carolina. And literally every single player fits exactly what Robert Sal is trying to do on defense. Tall, lanky corners with high athleticism, and you hope to coach them up. Uh, the Jets needed Will linebackers. They drafted two former safeties who played a lot of linebacker in college, you know, physical dudes. You look at who they were targeting in free agency. The one dude they really missed on was Keon O'Neal because he wanted to go play for Dan Quinn. Yep. So Keon O'Neal is a safety slash linebacker hybrid. What they do, they draft two of them. So it's clear the Jets have a plan. And I think that Jets fans, given that their team just had Adam Gase, Sam Darnold was a complete flop, and they just went 2-14 and 14 and missed off on a generational quarterback prospect, according to other people. I don't think he was that generational. I think he's really damn good, not better than Andrew Luck. But having them one overall pick is always better because you can actually determine who is your best guy, and you don't have to fluff it up. I think Jets fans are overwhelmingly trying to be humble because they know what the past two years were. They fucked up. They had a good chance to be successful, and they fucked it up. So now Jets fans are just holding their tongue where there's actually promise again, and they don't want to screw it up. Which I think is smart. Now, the fan base is optimistic this this year will end differently than last year. 
which I think is almost a given, right? Because it can't go worse than last year. I mean, that was one of the questions we have yeah. for every guest tonight, well, is why the fan base thinks this year will be different than last. Your team, new head coach, okay? Right. New quarterback, some interesting pieces. You guys spent some money. You got some extra protection up front on the offensive line. You beefed up your defense. It legitimately can't go worse than two wins, right? Well, I mean, listen, I'll be I'll be very honest with you. Nobody wanted to see Adam Gay succeed from day one. I think that's very I think that's the God honest truth. Even if he was successful, people would find a way to hate him, including myself. He was never wanted in New York. He he never had a chance to succeed because nobody was ever going to back him. And now you have a guy in Salah who everybody absolutely loves. Outside of Matt Campbell, I think pretty much everybody wanted Robert Salah as their, you know, number one coaching candidate for the Jets. So now you have a guy who everybody loves. And to be honest with you, there is a timeline where this goes very, very bad because we all know how the Jets operate. If the Jets somehow end up with four wins this year, which I really don't think they will, I think they'll be in the wild card race, not probably make the playoffs, but they'll be in the race towards the end of the year, and Buffalo will probably knock them out at the end of the year. Um, If there's that dark timeline where the Jets get four wins with Zach Wilson and Robert Salah, that's way worse than two wins with Adam Gase. Because now you're talking about this plan is also failing. Your quarterback also sucks, and then your coach probably sucks too, and you have to rebuild again. So there is a way this gets worse, but I'm, I don't think that's realistic. I think the Jets end up with eight or nine wins this year, largely off the back of their defensive front who, listen, uh, I think it was Bleacher Report earlier today, they had their like defenses ranked you know, after the draft or something, and they had the Jets at 27th, which is absolute bullshit. The Jets were 15th last year with an Adam Gase offense and Sam Darnold. You don't think Robert Sala is an upgrade over Greg Williams? You don't think LaMarcus (laughs) Joyner, Sheldon Rankin, C.J. Mosley coming back, an improved scheme, Quinn Williams going into his third year? I mean, it's just idiotic. People aren't paying attention. You guys have the bones of a competitive football team. Now it's just putting it together. And I think you can carry that. elite playmakers is what they need. But I think you can carry that optimism into the summer and go into training camp thinking – Last year, I heard Jets fans saying, we're going to win 11 games. And I laughed. And I laughed even harder when you lost, like, the first – you guys were going over the first 10. And I was like, ah, this yeah. is hysterical. It's real fun, yeah. This year, you guys have a legitimate opportunity to come out of the gate swinging. And I like that. And yeah. going into the schedule camp, isn't hard And all. going into the training camp phase of this, when we come back from summer vacation – you guys have a legitimate roster, at least more legitimate than anything we've seen from you guys out of the last few years. And that's notable, and I can't wait to bring you back on this show in a few, what, a month and change? So we can run this back and talk about it once they put the pads on and start getting into some contact. We get into some preseason football. Fahey, I want you to know when he means bring you back, he means if Scott can't do it. No, 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 no. Mm. We're going to no, do yeah, this again see, with Fahey. No, no, I'm the best. a little betrayed by that. No, I'll tell you this. We're going to do this again because Fahey, not only has his voice gotten deeper. He's legal. No, he knows his shit. And I love this. He's I always love, known his shit. But I love That's seeing true. the way that his progression and content production has pro- just progressed. I'm incredibly impressed by this kid. Even if my wife might flirt with the idea sometimes. Like where if I where, fall off where a, is Larissa? Like is she I, in the house right now? No, well, we're, no we're at, we're at my God. place, dude. She can't hear mm-hmm. me say this. But I think she flirts with the idea that if I fell off a ladder and died and she got the uh, half-million-dollar check from the life insurance company, she might give you a phone call. So just be on the lookout for her sliding into your DMs if something tragic happens to me. And, hey, 
God bless you. But so in that way, I look forward to running this back, come training camp with you. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on social and what you got coming up on your podcast? Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you guys for always having me on. Always love talking to you guys, even through your trunked rampades. Uh, everybody can find me at Kyle Fahey NFL. Uh, you can subscribe to my YouTube. Just search Kyle Fahey Football. Uh, pretty straightforward. Most of my links are on my Twitter. Uh, the podcast at the Jet Take on Twitter. Just the Jet Take on iTunes. If you guys want to listen to some Jets talk, way more in depth, way more sassy than this somehow, um, but uh, not intoxicated while doing so. So I promise that always on every. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed podcast <laughs> Kyle Fahey God kid he's still you, it's impossible not to think of him as like a little bro like the annoying little brother from a sitcom yeah I just I can't I can't help myself but switching South Beach as we look at the Miami Dolphins as we head into the NFL summer vacation and here to talk to us about everything everything Miami is Mr. Alfartiaga how are you doing sir Doing great, and, and that's one of the one of the pet peeves a lot of the fans down here have is when every time they show the Dolphins about to play the New England Patriots in September, and they go oh, from from South Beach, and and everybody down here at the stadium and watching the game live on TV is always thinking the same thing: South Beach is an hour and fifteen minutes that way. <laughs> this stadium is in Miami Gardens. It, so, it's the same, and depending on the traffic, it could be an hour and a half to South Beach. It's so, the, it's no. the same thing up here when we when they show shots of Niagara Falls. Oh, that place that's yeah. forty five minutes outside of Orchard Park. It's yeah, forty five minutes away from where the game is being played. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh my God. No, but did you know it's funny? Now that I know it's a pet peeve for Dolphins fans, I'm going to reference it constantly. Like that's that's just who we are. So. A little bit. I want to get to know more. For those of you who have been living under a rock, haven't listened to any of our AFC's Roundup podcasts, and I don't know why the hell you would be listening to this one. Elf is the host of the Three Yards Per Carry podcast, who just wrapped up. Probably, am I, is it correct to say that the draft season is really your baby? That's your that's your guy's time to shine when it comes to covering yeah. the Dolphins and draft stuff. Yeah, and evidently our listeners seem to believe the same thing, too, because our numbers this year were considerably better than last year, and last year's was considerably better than the year before. So we've gained, I think we've earned a a reputation in this town as being pretty good around the draft. And it shows with your mock draft. 
<laughs> it shows with your mock draft where you didn't do as poorly as some people we jumped all over. <laughs> and I mean, listen, mock drafts, I think, the, I think the whole exercise is pointless, and I think we proved that point. But even in that, you were right in the thick, meaty part of the curve there, not falling behind, not showing off. But like we articulated, if it wasn't for that one Jalen Mayfield pick, you were probably the leader in the clubhouse, which is impressive. That one pick yeah. that just blew, I, I think you were the only one who picked him, and it was worth a ton of points, blew your score up, but you could have finished 60 points lower with just that one. <laughs> just anybody yeah, I else did right. that guy. I, I, I did okay. I, I did a little bit better than I did the year before. I got, uh, I think I got nine teams exactly correct, and I got the first 13 picks correct. You know, the only problem was that, you know, I got the wrong guy going to the Dolphins. My partner on the podcast nailed both guys because he said it for three weeks running. They're going to take Jalen Waddle, and at 18, they're going to get lucky enough to take Jalen Phillips. And those are going to be the two picks. So he was actually spot on. So first and foremost, the question we've been leading off with tonight this is, we're at the doorstep of the NFL summer vacation. I mean, it's like it's like high school as it's winding down, or college as you know you're finishing up your finals and you're looking around, going, "It's not a whole lot going to be happening for a couple months here." What are your plans for the NFL summer vacation? I'm going to sit on a beach somewhere. I think I have we have one more podcast next week, and then we go on our annual hiatus, which is essentially three weeks with no podcasts. Then we'll be back in July when they start training. But, yeah, for the meantime, I'm probably going to be driving down to the Keys and sitting on beaches and South essentially Beach. nothing. No, dude, that's, see, now that sounds like the life. I mean, I'm sure you're going to have some quality cigars. Of course, always. <laughs> He's a cigar man, folks. I mean, you fo- follow him on Twitter. It's, it's an interesting time when you see the stuff he gets into. But, uh, no, I, I think about this, and I think about what people do in their time away from football. This three-week hiatus is interesting to me. Chris, how enraging to our listeners would it be if we rolled out three weeks of podcasts that were nothing but, like, best ofs? Well, back back when we... we <laughs> like, like old-school radio. Well, back when we began, we did bi-weekly in the off-season. We did every other week, and that irritated people. <laughs> I think we should do it just to troll our listeners. Just un- Bring it back. Write, up, write it up like it's a new podcast, and then when they download it and realize it's just clips of old stuff that we've talked about from back in, like, 2015. Or I can just do an hour of uh, cricket sound effects. <laughs> Yeah, that's what that's what happened with us this year. Uh, we always used to do two podcasts a week during the the regular season, and then in the off season, as soon as the Super Bowl came around, we only did one. Right. So uh, this past off season, I guess it was by popular demand because we kept being told in January, "You guys are going to do two podcasts this year, right? A week leading up until the draft." And I said, uh, "No, because we always do one." And they said, you know, but they'll pay you. And we said, okay, we'll do two podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, money talks. That's how that works. Money talks. So getting into the Miami Dolphins as we head into this, it's one of those things where we've been asking people to take a look at their team and give just kind of an assessment of how you feel about your team as it's presently constructed. You know, we're heading into the doldrums. The 90-man roster is either complete for every team or it's getting there. You know, there's really not a whole lot going on in the free agency front. There's not a whole lot of names worth paying attention to besides, like, uh, Richard Sherman or Steve Nelson. There's not a whole lot out there on the market for most teams. So 
you can take a step back and look at your roster and kind of start to gauge how you feel about it, especially when you compare it to where it was last season. When you're looking at Miami and how they enter this, you know, the upcoming training camp, how do you feel about 2021 versus the 2020 roster at this same point? I didn't always feel this way, uh, especially at the beginning of this offseason and in parts, even after the draft, uh, I had some questions. But a lot of those questions have been answered, and I can honestly say that this roster is probably in the best place it's been in about 20 years, easily. So excited, I guess, is the only word I can come up with because there's actual expectations now. Like, there's no more... There's no longer a uh, the cute little team that can go ten and six, you know. Now it's a team that's expected to win games and expected to challenge for a playoff spot. See now, when, when I looked at your roster before we got into all this, I, I looked at some of the things, and I know from last year to this year, you had said yourself on a, on multiple occasions that the Dolphins could, especially in the run up to free agency in the draft, the Dolphins could be looking at. Essentially, a fire sale and wholesale swap out of their skill position groups um, mm-hmm. between running backs, wide receivers. I mean, you had said as many as 10 to 11 new faces. When I take a look at your depth chart, I, I see some new faces. I mean, Will Fuller, you bring him in. He's a, he's a proven deep threat when he's healthy. But it doesn't seem that much different, specifically the running back room. How concerned are you about that in the grand scheme of things? Well, the running back room, there was absolutely no change whatsoever. Uh, You can tell there was no change. All they did was they added Malcolm Brown. I guess that solves their their goal line and short yardage issues from last year. But other than that, they really didn't do anything else in the running back room. I think in the wide receiver room, they did make a lot of changes because two of the three starting wide receivers are new this year, Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller. I believe that Will Fuller is a major upgrade over – Everybody we had on the on the roster last year. I think he's our best wide receiver. If you trust those advanced metrics, mm-hmm. he had a monster season last year. Now I mean, it does I mean, help that he was actually healthy. That's what I was going to say. It coincided with him playing the most games. I think he's played in three seasons. Yeah. So you're talking about two out of three guys are different, and now with the drafting of Hunter Long, they're swapping out one of the tight ends, and then the the offensive line is. Kind of revamped. New center, new left guard, new right guard, new right tackle. Although it's some of the same faces, they're just being moved to their more natural positions. Well, so, and, well, and when I look at that, when I looked at your offensive line, one of the things that jumped out to me is something that, you know, Chris, we talked about over in our Bills podcast about this narrative that had developed that there was going to be some answer to our problems in either free agency or the draft. Like, well, this was weak, and we need to sign player X to fix it. And we kind of came to the conclusion when you look at everything, both from a metric standpoint and also just from a cap standpoint, that the best thing for this football team would be that there was nobody off the street that was going to come in and make things better than it could be if the players we already had on hand just continued to develop. And it seems like that's, I mean, you did bring in some new names. Matt Skura is one of them. Uh, you brought, I mean, I'm looking at the list right now. You got guys like Matt Skura. Um, I see, what is this? Uh, you drafted Eichenberg, which is interesting. Yeah. I don't know if and he's, is he an interior lineman or do you think he's tackle? He he will be the new right tackle. Okay. And then and Robert Hunt, Robert Hunt last year when he was drafted, 
the coaches the coaches were asked like you know this is a guy that projected by a lot of the you know the draft nicks including us as a top notch guard and some of us believed he could be the best guard in that draft so why are you going to play him at right tackle and they just, they said that he was athletic enough that they were going to try him at right tackle and this is their quote not ours he was going to be allowed to fail at right tackle and it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if he failed because we believe he could be a pro bowler at guard. Well, evidently he failed at right tackle because <laughs> this offseason they said he's moving the right guard and we're looking for a new right tackle. They drafted, uh, they signed DJ Fluker and then immediately drafted Liam Eikenberg and said Liam Eikenberg is going to have every opportunity to start at right tackle. So they took our right guard, which was Solomon Kinley. He's now the new left guard which is what he played in Georgia, and signed Matt Skura. So you're talking about four new offensive linemen on that offensive line, mm-hmm. although three are the same names. They're just moved to different positions. Well, I also think it's interesting that when you look back at the depth you guys had accumulated over that point, last year we said you know, the offensive line depth was atrocious. <laughs> there yeah. was just a lot of green, you know, still wet behind the ears players, not a whole lot of established talent. Now you look at it. You've built that up. You know that's something you saw here in Buffalo, Chris. That coincided with you know everyone bashed Josh Allen year one because he was playing behind this. I, I, we were the second cheapest offensive line in football. Mm. Year two, they made a concerted effort once they had the free agency dollars and the draft capital to really try to revamp that line. And you watched Allen become a more confident quarterback. And then he exploded this year behind, again, another solidified, a further solidified offensive line, at least from a pass protection standpoint. So you guys, it seems like you've done well on that front. I mean, that's Absolutely. Got- the yeah. last three years, uh, Jesse Davis has played almost every single snap at either right tackle, left tackle, right guard, or left guard. He's a guy who plays every, almost every single position. Now he's the top backup at a couple of positions. And then they signed DJ Fluker, a guy who I was actually pretty excited about because if you remember, DJ Fluker was a first-round pick. Comes in with a great pedigree, had a bad start to his career, mainly because he was playing right tackle and San Diego, and just because yeah. he couldn't he couldn't block speed rushers. But well, Tom Telesco has had a real hell of a time out there. I mean, yeah. he's done every. In fact, I used him as an example when we were talking about Brandon Bean and his kind of avoidance of offensive linemen. You know, in the run-up to this draft, I said our GM avoids offensive linemen like the plague in the draft. He he likes to rely on proven commodities. I'll call them. You know, proven commodities. He wants cheap veterans, but at least he knows what they are. He he knows that where their ceilings are. He knows what their faults are, and he can kind of cobble together a bunch of them and make a useful offensive line. And I just feel like <laughs> I feel like the Dolphins. You saw them draft. I mean, Tom Telesco went through the same thing. He's tried everything to build an offensive line out there, and yet Fluker's on your team. Forrest Lamp is on our team. They took Slater. Chargers did. <laughs> he took Rashawn Slater. Like he's tried free agency. He's tried everything, and he's content to keep spinning plates to try to get it right. But it's not like these guys are untalented. It's just knowing what they are. And then being able to find a hole for that somewhere on your roster. That's already going to be a nice week two storyline when we play the Dolphins because we've got new people on our D-line and Alf's got uh, people on the O-line that's shuffled around. So it's like a new defensive line for us against a uh, new starting five for the Dolphins. Relatively early in a season where you're still developing a chemistry. That'll be a storyline. That's a good point, Chris. 
On the opposite side of the ball, Elf, did the defense materially improve? I mean, last year, the, with the free agency money you guys spent, I mean, you brought in some, some you signed Shaq Lawson. You and then traded him. I mean, you brought in linebacker depth. You had uh, Van Ginkle. You had Gruger Hill. You know, I'm looking at just Kyle Van Noy, uh, Landon Roberts. You went out and got experienced depth. Emmanuel Ogbo was a guy who I thought was a wildly underrated signing by Miami at the beginning of the year. You guys had a lot of depth and a lot of experienced talent, and then that kind of got shuffled around this offseason. Do you think that the defense is better for the changes that have taken place over there? Yeah, I believe so. I think they've done a, a wonderful job on the defensive side of the ball. And it wasn't, and I didn't think that, at, you know, at the start of the offseason. But then you start to see their vision when they, when they get rid of Paul Vanoy and then they make the trade, Shaq Lawson for Bernardrick McKinney. You start to see, okay, this means that Jerome Baker, who's a guy who's on the come up and who is expected to sign a pretty hefty contract at the end of this coming season. And he, he's, Honest to goodness, he's one of our best defensive players. He had seven and a half sacks. As a you know, in our system, that type of linebacker, a scrape linebacker, plays mostly inside. To have seven and a half sacks is a pretty good thing. So him and Bernard McKinney should hold down that position. Alanda Roberts returns sometime around midseason because he's nursing a couple of injuries. And then uh, when you shuffle everything around and you look at it and you say, okay, all this means is that Andrew Van Ginkle, a guy who we really really like. It's going to get more snaps now. Last year, he used to only essentially play on third downs. He was a pass rush specialist. Now he's going to get to play a lot more. And then you look at it and you think to yourself, okay, everything's improved on this defense all of a sudden, but we have a pretty big hole at edge rusher. But at 18, you get to take what most people think and thought was the best pass rusher in the draft. You got to be optimistic, I would say. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's things look better. I think I, I think Miami is one of those teams that things look better on paper than they did last year, and it's not just window dressing. You know, it's it's one of those things where they did get materially better in a number of places. Now it's just a matter of how quickly can it gel and how quickly can it all come together. And so, with that, the the last question we've been asking everyone: the fan base. <laughs> Is the fan base optimistic that this coming season is going to end differently than last year? And what specifically is driving that hope? Well, the Dolphin fan is usually a very pessimistic bunch. But this year, it's a little bit different. Like, you could see it's it's almost palpable. When people talk about the team, they are expecting a higher win total. They just don't know how to express that higher win total, whether it's 11 or 12 or maybe even 13. But they do expect a much better team. And it's really because of the coaches. Uh, Brian Flores, at the start of the offseason, he was asked, well, not toward the end of the offseason, after the draft, he was asked, you know, where do you consider yourself in this rebuild? And he looked at the beat writers and he said, there is no more rebuild. We're done. Like, this is the team that will either win a championship here or won't. So he's essentially calling the rebuild over, and this is the start of expectation. So, yeah, you got to be excited for that because all of this, you know, like, okay, we need an edge rusher. We need a defensive tackle, and, you know, maybe we can get another draft pick here in the fourth round. All of that is over with. Now we actually care about winning football games. The story that's going to be – because you're right. They've built a pretty solid team down there. It all comes down to the quarterback at this point. <laughs> and mm. 
I think that if there's any room, like if there's any optimism for us as Bills fans, it comes down to what is what is Tua Tagovailoa? Is he? What does his development look like? Does does he like Josh Allen with a better offensive line? Do you see a more confident quarterback and an uptick in performance from what he had last year? Or are his shortcomings going to prove to be a little bit more difficult to overcome? I mean, the team's going to go as far as he can take them, I think, in that regard. Because, again, you don't have a – it's not like you guys went out and got a star running back to carry the load. I know that's something Dolphins fans wanted very badly. (laughs) We did did a draft day show. I did a draft day – Draft Day 2 show with the Finn Maniacs guys and Antoine Staley. And we were just drinking and just talking, about, just having a loose hang, talking about draft stuff. And one of the things that came up was just how heartbroken these guys were that as the draft kept going on, there was no running backs coming off the board. <laughs> like, it just wasn't happening. And like, so there's nobody there to bail Tua out. This is going to be Tua's show to run. Do you think that fans... Because obviously, there's a lot of hate from outside. <laughs> there's a lot of Bills fans throwing shade, Patriots fans saying that their rookie is better than your Alabama rookie. All of this stuff. How confident is your fan base in Tua entering 2021? They're very, very confident. The problem is that you know you have some national media elements, namely Colin Cowherd, who's decided that he's just going to rip them incessantly, week in and week out for the entire offseason. So that gets amplified. But the fan base is pretty, pretty excited about what he's going to provide this year because they remember his best moments from last year. And his best moments from last year were pretty damn good. And if he can repeat those, then we're in for a pretty fun ride. And he does look different this year. Like, I don't know if anybody's seen him, but he looks maybe 15, 20 pounds heavier. He's a much bigger guy. Well, hopefully, hopefully that works out for him because uh, the Bills' defense, we're, they're going to be coming for him. <laughs> People are going to be gunning for him, and it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think. We- yeah, and I would say, I would say, vice versa. I think Brian Flores has to be sitting in his offense, figuring out. You know, there's one quarterback that keeps escaping our grasp as far <laughs> as keeping him under control, and it's Josh Allen. So, you know, at this point, you know, Brian Flores had success against everybody. He's the one guy he hasn't had success against. So it'd be interesting to see what he's going to cook up this year. <sighs> he has added a ton of safeties and shuffled around the entire front seven. They seem to have gained a lot of speed. So maybe that's what he's going to, how he's going to combat Josh Allen this year. I can't wait to see it. Well, sir, I hope, I sincerely hope, I mean this with because we talked about it in our 300 show. We're we're petty, we're petty sons of bitches. But I hope you enjoy your cigars and your beaches and everything else that Florida has to offer, and you can come back refreshed for training camp, and we can get into the run up to the season together. That way, I mean, I, I just hope that this all goes well. That you come in well rested. That way, we can have some more spirited conversations about you know when the Buffalo Bills put up. 40 points on your, the Miami defense. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. But it's it's going to be fun to watch to see Tua take the, sec, the his next step. And, and of course, you know, our rivalry renewed because, let's face it, you know, Zach Wilson probably is going to be a bust. 
namely because he's going to wear that uniform. And the Patriots, that's a thing of the past. That's over with. Did you see we that should walk? be at the top of the division. Did, did you for see Mac Jones walk the to the podium? Years. I'm not scared of that guy. No. <laughs> I'm not scared. I'm not scared of a kid who walks like that, Chris. There, there was the best gif I saw of him walking was him walking, and then somebody tagging it as when a school administrator is walking to the cafeteria because there's a fight. <laughs> That's the best one I saw. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social, where they can find your podcast once it renews, and what else you guys got going on when you come back from hiatus? Of course, our podcast is Three Yards Per Carry. You can find us everywhere, Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts. You can find us. Three Yards Per Carry is a dolphin podcast. You can find us on Twitter at the letter, the number three yards per carry. And, of course, you can find me at Alf underscore Artiaga, also on Twitter. And so as we always like to do on this podcast, I feel like we always find ourselves ending with the Patriots because the Patriots are just one of those teams that I – I don't want to say I have it out for. Well, there's <laughs> but I've got, I've got a bone to pick with them that will probably last another decade or two. There's a lot to talk about. We're, we're hitting the summer months. You know, it's like, what kind of rompers is Cam Newton bringing to training camp? What kind <laughs> Different colors. Is he bringing a salmon color, his yellows, his reds, I remember someone tweeting us when he showed up to sign his contract in Foxborough and he had a top hat, like a chimney sweep hat, like almost like Slash. And he was wearing a romper that was black and white striped like Beetlejuice. Yeah. Someone said that they were just – someone made – they were like in a ton of bracelets and they were like he looks like – he looks like he stole that out of Johnny Depp's closet. That was one of my favorite <laughs> tweets. And he also said that he looked like he was going to bust out an accordion and start playing Hey Ya. And I don't know why, but that tickled me. But here to talk to us about it tonight is Mike Debate from Lockdown Patriots. How are you, sir? I'm great, gentlemen. Thanks so much for having me on tonight. Always See, great to talk Cam and his outfits. I love it. Yeah, sure, right. Because last year it was one of the most enthralling things about the Patriots season. It was the only upside look at the Patriots season, what Cam was wearing pre, how can pre-game meme, and post-game. How can you meme what Cam Newton's wearing at the podium? I mean, at one point he was wearing something that got memed, and someone goes, he looks like an ant angrily asking why you didn't take the chicken out of the freezer. <laughs> and I was like, this is the be- This is why Twitter's the best. Twitter's the worst, but it can sometimes be good. So Mr. Debate, up, th- up there in the Northeast, we're talking about NFL summer vacation. Yeah, we're, we're reaching the doldrums. As content producers, there's really not a lot you can talk about. And it almost feels like this is your kind of like, this is the downtime. This is where the season has ended. It's almost like we, we made the equation that it's almost like high school. You know, you're, you reach that last week and you go, wait a minute, we're running the clock out of this thing and then there's nothing to talk about for how many months? What are your plans for the NFL summer vacation? Uh, as little as possible, gentlemen. You know, you want to try to get uh, as much rest time in before the storm begins up here in Foxborough. No, all kidding aside, uh, there's always a lot to talk about in Foxborough. There's always a lot to talk about in any NFL. Uh, Patriots still continuing to make moves, make minor signings. We've seen a few this week, probably the most high profile of which, Brian Hoyer coming back into the quarterback room for the New England Patriots. Uh, raised a lot of eyebrows. A lot of people were surprised. Some people were shocked. A lot of people were angered uh, that they would even 
think, to bring him back after the 2020 season that he's had. But, um, you know, I've been defending, you know, Brian's re-signing a little bit because I think a lot of it is much ado about nothing. Ultimately, I think he's coming back in to be a camp arm, uh, nothing more. Uh, he'll be a good mentor. He'll be someone that can work with the scout teams, work with the B teams, um, allow Cam Newton, allow Mac Jones, allow even Jared Stidham to get a little bit of, uh, you know, starting reps with some of the starting units and Brian can kind of run some of the scout team that he's very good at doing uh i don't think he was signed with any intention of ever taking a regular season snap so anybody thinking that this means that one guy is being jettisoned or anything like that i think this is probably brian's only option and one of the reasons why he was brought in but patriots again continuing to make moves tyler gaffney back in the uh, other running back room uh you know obviously they went out and signed a long snapper uh you know they're filling out the roster right now that's really what it is it's kind of a feel out uh you know situation next week we get a look at the patriots on the field otas media will be in attendance there so it'll be interesting to see what uh, this team looks like on the field a little bit and how they come together but ultimately no one's really going to know until mini camp in june and then obviously training camp beginning in july see debate is going to have a lot to talk about because last year, coming into the offseason, it's, oh, what's Cam Newton wearing to the game? This year, it's how Mac Jones walks into a room. <laughs> <laughs> and it will be GIF filed. Uh, you can guarantee every single time Mac walks anywhere, uh, you'll have that side-by-side -side with the Bill Belichick walking into Ford Field in uh, Detroit. Uh, it will be a happening, no question about it. I know a lot of people I, yeah. are going oh, to look forward to it. This is how Mac Jones walks into a Dunkin' Donuts. I feel like if I'm him, I steer into it. I feel like I steer into the mockery, and I actually just start walking goofy because. It's like, listen, eventually it'll get old. It'll become old hat, and you'll all stop paying attention to it. Meanwhile, I'm over here doing actual football things that you're not paying attention to. I, I feel like, no, I, I feel like that's the way you could approach it. Now, one of the questions we've been asking everybody, taking a look at how your team is presently constructed as of today, Versus where the where the roster was last season at this same time. I mean, ninety man rosters are coming together. You're, there's some small tweaks happening, but to your point, minor signings. Nothing that actually is probably going to affect the final fifty three. When you think about how camp should end, <sighs> how do you feel about the construction of this roster versus where you were last year? Much better this year as opposed to where we were last year. Uh, and I say we in terms of looking at it from a fan base standpoint, from a media standpoint, and from a team standpoint. Look, the Patriots had some major problems last year, a lot of holes and a lot of deficiencies at a lot of positions on the depth chart. They've addressed a lot of them. Tight end is much stronger this year than it was last year. That position was almost non-existent last we, year. I think All I had, due respect. I hate to cut you sorry. off here, but I had the statistic with Mark Schofield, and he, he legitimately took his headphones off, put them on the desk, and walked out of the room. I brought up the, <laughs> No, I brought up the fact that I think it was in 2019, the Patriots tight ends outside of Ben Watson. Remember when the ghost of Ben Watson was floating around? Yep. He... The tight end group accounted for, I think, less than 15 total first downs over the course of the entire season. Yeah, without any question. And it was even worse last year. Uh, one touchdown from that group last year was good enough for dead last in the NFL. For a team that's predicated on running 12-man personnel, which the New England Patriots love to do in the Bill Belichick era, especially with Josh McDaniels running the show on offense, 
it's something that is really it's head scratching and you wondered how they were going to be able to go into this season with Ryan Izzo and Matt Lacoste being your primary options I know they spent a couple of high round draft picks on Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene I expect them to be a little better this year than they were last year but the Patriots knew they had deficiencies there they went out signed Jonu Smith signed Hunter Henry that is going to solve some problems there a lot of people still tell you that wide receiver is the Achilles heel of this offense. I understand where those arguments come from. Someone like Nelson Aguilar, who has a reputation of being maybe middle of the road, maybe not as consistent as people would like. There have been drop issues in the past. He had a solid season with Las Vegas last year. He's become much more of an outside threat, and I think that's how the Patriots are going to employ him. They'll miss Julian Edelman in the slot. They'll miss Julian Edelman as the elder statesman in that wide receiver's room. But Kendrick Bourne can come in and play the slot. He can come in and fill that middle. Jacoby Myers is capable of doing that as well. Running back position, Patriots are pretty well stacked at that position. Damian Harris will continue to have a good season, I believe. He'll continue his progression. Sony Michelle is kind of an up and down. Now, we saw flashes last year of him being able to live up to some of uh, what he was drafted for to be a Patriots feature back and a finesse back. But is he going to be healthy? That's the big question with Sony. He's had his injury history, so that's a question mark. But Ramondre Stevenson coming in, drafting a, just signed his contract out of uh, Oklahoma. He'll be solid. I compare him a lot to LeGarrett Blunt. I think that's going to be an apt comparison. And then, of course, you look at what the Patriots do on the offensive line, and they brought in Trent Brown to come in and anchor that offensive line, be someone that's going to be able to provide that big body, that protection that the Patriots always come of it uh hopefully isaiah Wynn will have a healthier season big wild card guys is the quarterback position yes. it's going to depend on quarterback play if cam newton comes in and he struggles and he plays similar to how he played last year can mac jones come in and carry the load that's a lot to ask of a rookie quarterback that hasn't taken an nfl snap yet we've heard so much about his ability to throw guys open his ability to read a playbook make pre-snap reads get the ball out on time deliver it accurately exactly where it needs to be that's all well and good but when you take snaps as an nfl quarterback it's a whole different ball game so that's going to be the ultimate wild card this year where the Patriots will win games is on the defensive side of the ball because the upgrades they've made there have really been significant. Pat's had a lot of problems both setting the edge and stopping the run the well, last Because most of your players opted out. Donta Hightower, again, yeah. as an Alabama guy, I mean, earlier I couldn't produce, uh, couldn't pronounce to a tongue of old, I still can't do it. I can't pronounce his name correctly. <laughs> but Donta Hightower... The year that we drafted Marcel Darius, I'm like, I, I, I feel like we're getting the wrong guy. Dante Hightower is a freak athlete, right? And he's been a mainstay on that Patriots defense. I joke right. that for some reason, the Dolphins and the Patriots seem to get the good Alabama players, and we seem to get the bad ones. <laughs> I don't understand how it works, but you do it. Losing him and Patrick Chung last year were bigger than anyone wanted to admit. And then you mm-hmm. – not, not just for on the field, but in the locker room. You right. saw a team – I mean, I think in that Bills game on Monday Night Football, you watched a team that just decided we don't want to be here anymore. Like Cam yep. Newton's not putting it out. And the, the Bills are looking to put a shovel to us here. And we're just going to take it and hopefully we'll go on to play next week. The Christian Barmore pick really surprised me, but I guess it shouldn't have. Because you guys needed a, an explosive interior presence, right? 
Yeah, without any question. I mean, you know, Barmore in just bare bones was, I thought, was one of the best defensive linemen in the 2021 draft class. Oh, for sure. Stout defensive tackle. Uh, I love the way this kid blends the strength, blends the power with the technique to be able to succeed in this system. At Alabama, he performed very well in the 3-4 setting. That's really what the Patriots are going to be running this year. You look at their personnel, it's so conducive to that 3-4 that they ran so well in 2019 in the first half of the season. Couldn't run it last year because they just didn't have the personnel to do it. Barmore plays with good leverage. He's strong enough to take on the double teams. He can locate the ball quickly. Uh, he gets after guys with great effort. And he's really got excellent range for his size. This actually is my favorite pick that the Patriots made in the draft. Simply because I think he's the most NFL ready out of all of the guys that are in there and he really fills a need in the middle part of this uh, you know uh, defensive line setting the edge being able to play uh, you know defensive tackle this is going to be uh, something that I think uh, is is going to be such an anchor and such an, uh, an addition for the Patriots team this year and I really look forward to seeing what Christian Barmore can bring to the table see now I think one of my one of my favorite picks for you guys if I can even say that without throwing up a little in my mouth is Ronnie Perkins. Ronnie Perkins is one of the few college football players who gave Tevin Jenkins everything he could handle. He gave Tevin Jenkins the business when they played each other. And that's hard to do. Nobody gave Tevin Jenkins the business. If it weren't for a hip injury, he would have been a top 15 draft pick. So with that in mind, you guys getting him in the third round, far more in the second round, the, the interesting running back pick, which I think throws a little shade at Sony Michelle, but I ultimately mm-hmm. think that you guys have addressed a lot of needs. Your wide receiver core has quietly gotten better. I mean, right now, Nikhil Harry, he's not a guy who's going to be relied on to do a lot for you guys. Right. He's more of a bit player now, which is yep. probably where he should have been, which is why he shouldn't have been a first-round draft pick. But I digress. You guys have had a pretty successful offseason this year, especially with the spending spree you guys went on. Mm-hmm. So when we... I'm going to let him finish that. He'll have to edit that out. I don't know what he's doing over there on the phone. <laughs> so we talk about how every fan base is optimistic that this year is going to end differently than last year. It's the perennial fault of football fans. Everybody goes into this time of year going, listen, we're all 0-0. Zero, zero. We got our roster set. I've got all these new draft picks that we haven't watched play a snap, so we don't know who sucks and who doesn't. The reality is not everybody pans out, (laughs) but right now you can hang on to that optimism. And every fan base, because I fight with most of them on social media when when I'm bored and I'm so inclined because that's who I am, (laughs) everybody's optimistic that this year is going to end differently than last year. My question to you is, why for the Patriots is this year going to be different? I mean, you made upgrades on the roster, you did all these things, but the quarterback situation is relatively the same, if not maybe even a little worse, if Cam Newton doesn't rebound off that season. Where does this optimism for you come from as far as this year ending differently than last? And I just want to let you know that as I listen to you explain this to me, I'm going to be drinking a Narragansett lager. 
in nice. honor of the from New my England home state. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, you'll definitely make sure to crush the can just like Quint did in Jaws. Yes. You'll love it. Trust me. And it, it enhances the flavor of the beer. I can tell you that much. Um, look, bottom line, the reason that I am optimistic about the Patriots being better this year than the last. And for the record, I've gone on record by saying I still believe this is the Buffalo Bills division without any question. They're still the class of this division. And I don't think that's going to change. But the Patriots will finish with a winning record this year, in my opinion, because of the upgrades they've made to the defense. You mentioned Christian Barmore. You mentioned Ronnie Perkins. If Barmore is my favorite pick that the Patriots made, Perkins is right there on his heels. I love what this kid can do. I really and truly do. He's that disruptive type run defender, but I'm very tenacious pass rush, something that the Patriots have not had. And they've added a lot of pieces on defense. When you think about the interior of that defensive line, Devon Godchow, Henry Anderson coming in, they actually complement someone like a Lawrence Guy very well, allowing someone like Dietrich Wise to be able to set the edge and do what he does well and not have to wear a lot of hats in that front seven. The linebacker court got exponentially better by Dante Hightower opting back in. Him at the Mike linebacker provides that type of signal caller, that quarterback of the defense that the Patriots didn't have last year. They have it this year. Trades at the linebacker position. Matt Judon, one of my favorite free agent signings that the Patriots have made, allows them to be able to make moves and make plays that they didn't have the ability to do last year. And that defense that uh, secondary that defensive backfield excuse me is still pretty much intact yes they've lost jason mccourty but when you look at what they've added in someone like jalen mills even in a rookie like joshua bledsoe who can play a slot corner and a safety position patriots have an awful lot of depth there and they still have stefan gilmore they still have jc jackson we're confident that they will probably be the one-two tandem i mean barring a trade anything is possible but that defense will keep them in games more and allow the patriots to be more competitive so a few of the games that they found themselves on the outside looking in last year they're going to come out on top in a few of those this year that's why i look at their strength of schedule i look at their uh, ability uh, defensively, and I think in a lot of ways that allows them to uh, to upgrade. And the familiarity of having guys like uh, Hightower or even a Kyle Van Noy returning from uh, um, uh, Miami allows them that familiarity on defense that they're desperately going to need. Kyle Van Noy back in... I mean, we were just busting Elf Artiaga's chops about, ah, you lost a bunch of pieces on defense. Willingly. You just, how big how big of a get is that to get Kyle Van Noy? He signs a four-year deal somewhere else. He's in line to go to a Pro Bowl, and then they're like, well, we don't need you. <laughs> how happy were you to see him come back to New England? I always loved covering Kyle up here in New England, so I was very happy to see him come back. Uh, I know some of the media up here has had some things to say about Kyle, but look, I always found him refreshing. I always found him very uh, uh, forthright and very forthcoming. Uh, and what he brings to the table on the field is a tenacious pass rush, someone that has a very high motor, and someone that actually plays his assignment as it's assigned. That's something Bill Belichick loves, and he plays the 3-4 so well here in New England. He played it uh, very well in 2019, Parlay to a big-time contract in Miami in 2020 to the point where I thought Kyle Van Noy's tenure in New England was completely done. And when those rumors started to circulate, the first thing you think of is, well, no, this is just you know Belichick trying to do a former guy of his a solid. He's going to get him a contract elsewhere, and he's going to dip his toe in and make everyone think that he's going to bring him back, and Kyle's going to go elsewhere. And then you start to hear rumblings that – 
this has legs. This is something that Bill Belichick is looking into simply because Kyle fits a role here in New England so well. And now you're surrounding him with, obviously, with Dante Hightower again, but now Matt Judon. Josh Uche is going to be able to take a big step up. Anthony Jennings is a, a, a second-year uh, you know, rookie last year from Alabama. He comes now in as a second-year uh, linebacker. This linebacking core now is is deep, and you have a lot of rotational pieces, a lot of chess pieces that the Patriots can uh, put elsewhere. So it's an exciting time. And when uh, when Kyle Van Noy is one of your under the radar signings on defense, uh, you know that you've probably done a good job of upgrading the core. I hate to be happy for anybody else in the AFC East, <laughs> specifically the Patriots, but it seems like you guys have had a good one. Hopefully you enjoy your summer break and we all come back here refreshed. Training camp starts and we all find out that the Buffalo Bills are still on top of things as they, <laughs> as nature intended. But in the meantime, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social and what you have coming up over at Lockdown Patriots this summer? Oh, absolutely. Well, you can definitely find me on the Bird app, as my good friend Mark Schofield likes to say, who will actually be my guest tomorrow on Locked On Patriots. Um, also, all kidding aside, uh, you can find me at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-F-P-C, um, and you can follow the Locked On Patriots account as well at L-O underscore Patriots. Uh, a lot of different breakdowns, positional breakdowns, positional depth charts, all over the place as we march toward mini camp and then into training camp in July. It's going to be a uh, a nonstop summer on Locked On, uh, right through uh, <laughs> right through preseason games into the regular season in September. Mike Debate, Kyle Fahey, and Alf Artiaga, they all do great work for the teams that they cover. And during the uh, Alf's segment, I had a Scotch Ale. One of my, I gave you a little sample of it. That's my favorite. Style of beer, the Scotch Scotch Ale. Did you enjoy that? I did. It was smooth. Had a lot of flavor. Wasn't too heavy. That's the thing with it. With a Scotch Ale, sometimes you can overdo it and it can be a little heavy on the. I know I sound like a jerk. It can be heavy on the palate. It can be. It just feels like almost borderline, like you're drinking a stout if it's done wrong. Yeah, that's good. See, I discovered Scotch Ales and I uh, went on a. A comedy date out in Rochester. We went to the comedy club out there, and I got a Rohrbach Scotch Ale on draft, and I got fucked up. <laughs> yeah, no, I've had a terrible... James Potter, if you're listening to this, he remembers the day. He still talks about it. I was at the bar with him in Rohrbach Scotch Ale. It's eight point something percent alcohol. And I had a really terrible Friday, so I drove out to Batavia. Him and his friends were at happy hour, and I showed up, and I just immediately fired back three of them. And he goes, whoa, man. You might want to take it easy with that Scotch Ale. And I looked at him and I go, I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. <laughs> and then the next morning, I remember the combine was on. The next morning, I'm laying on the futon in his living room and I can't move. Like, I can't will myself. I was like Chris Traeger in that episode of Always uh, uh, Parks and Rec when yeah. he's sick. And he's looking at himself in the mirror going, stop pooping. Because yeah. he thinks he can will his body to do what he wants it to do. Because he's ill and he's just not used to it. That was me trying to overcome that hangover. I was like, you will not be hungover. You will get up, put your pants on, and walk out that front door. And I literally just rolled over onto the floor and stayed there for two hours. Yeah, Scotch, Scotch ales are my go-to for beer. I'll repeat that. Scotch ales, hold on. Kyle Washington, 
Scotch ales are my go-to. <laughs> Kyle Washington, Scotch ales. So as we kind of end this conversation, it's worth a look at our own Buffalo Bills through the same lens we've made these guys talk about their own teams. And I think for the Buffalo Bills, entering 2021-22, from last season, it, when you look at the construction of our team, I mean, just supreme continuity. There are no material changes for the worse anywhere on this roster. I mean, you could say maybe cornerback two, given that, uh, what, because Josh Norman left? Yeah. But was he really that great? Yeah, I guess we're relying on okay CB2s. How was it, may I say this, how was that in Carolina when McDermott was the D.C.? Because they, they had Norman as the one, and I think they just had get-by guys as the two. I'd, I'd be so interested to go back and look at that. Maybe that's a thing we'll tackle in the summer, but I just, I think I'd, I'd if you want a CB2 show, I'm sure they're going to be happening all summer long at the Bruce exclusive on Buffalo <laughs> Rumblings, because he pounded all offseason for CB2. So I'm sure every it. show he's doing this summer. It actually makes me happy that he didn't get it. I don't know why. That's the second time in tonight's show that I've taken shots at him, and I don't even know why. Like, it's it's just, I like it. It just makes me feel good. But there's no material changes for the worse anywhere on this roster. Can you think of one? Think of one place that was a strength last year that you go, oh, I don't know. No. No. We, like, we didn't come into the offseason with any glaring needs. We needed to start upgrading in certain places, like the defensive line and maybe interior offensive line. And I think that they did that. I think that, I mean, you look at the defensive line, our defensive end room got a facelift with young, with young talent that has a lot of athletic upside, even if they are raw, even if they will take work. Our offensive line has these supremely athletic new prospects that over time could help help fix some of these run-blocking issues we all screamed into the ether of social media about over the last year. The wide receiver room stayed relatively the same. And, I, I mean, I've already seen people, well, what if him and Sanders don't immediately gel? Should we talk about my Raider Cody moment I had today? Yes. Go yeah. ahead and talk about I had to, somebody tweeted out about Duke Williams stands. And I was like, oh, well, Gabe Davis, that's why we got rid of Brown, because Gabe Davis is going to move into that spot because he was so well. And then Hodgins can take Gabe Davis's spot because we haven't seen anything from Hodgins. And then Doug Flutie immediately shit all over you. Yeah, shit all over me. And I deserve it, 100%. You forgot about Emmanuel Sanders. I 100% forgot that Emmanuel Sanders is on the Bills roster. See, you're already... 100% You've already got summertime brain going on. You've forgotten about the Buffalo Bills team. Well, you know what? I've rollerbladed the past four days, so it's probably the sun sun is just... Just 70 degrees in Buffalo just oh, wiped yeah. away a lot of... Yeah, I've just been just coasting out on the, the waterfront, rollerblading, and the sun has just... I, I, I'm not worried about them finding chemistry, and our wide receiver room stayed pretty much the same, and depending on what you think about Isaiah Hodgins and the other talents that we carried over, like Jake Kumaro, this wide receiver room has the chops to maybe be better in 2021 than it was in 2020. I mean, Jake Kumaro's claim to fame so far has been this offseason. Being, be, the, being, thing that, being the thing that Aaron <laughs> Rodgers 
It was mad about that we got the, the Green Bay got rid of Kumaro and we got him. Hey, do you see this? He had one touchdown. I'm doing my best impression of Kermit the Frog, sipping a nice glass of tea, a little sun shining off it. Yeah, <gasps> that's like, none of my business. It's that good neighbor's IPA that you just spilled all over yourself. Hey, because I'm an adult and I get to do what I want. Optimist, and then when you think about fan, the fan base's outlook for this, I mean. Our optimism is overflowing as a fan base, and the reasons for it are pretty clear. MVP caliber quarterback play. I mean, we got to see if it's repeatable, but the signs are all there that mechanically Josh Allen has figured out how to be a quarterback, and with that, a pocket passer. And with that in mind, with his rare physical traits, I don't. I don't think mechanics change. You know, when, when Mitch Trubisky had his big season and everyone goes, oh, it's him taking the next step. You go back and you look at it and you find out that a lot of it was just he made plays. Yeah. But he didn't materially change who he was as a passer. He didn't change his methodology. He didn't change his mechanics. It's just an offensive coordinator found a way to take what he was already doing and make it more explosive. And once that got figured out, it died on the vine. And that, I mean, it should have co- it should have cost Matt Nagy, his job. The fact that he's still there and now is going to, you're going to trust him with the development of another rookie quarterback? Yeah, because Fields is better than Trubisky. Another young quarterback is going to come in under Nagy and hope that, you know, and maybe this is a summertime podcast we could do with some smart people. Like Bruce? As long as they'll still talk to us, considering all the shit we talk about him. Yeah. <laughs> This concept that offensive-minded coaches seem to be really bad at developing quarterbacks. Offensive-minded head coaches. Andy Reid, okay? Andy Reid has done a great job with, job with Patrick Mahomes. That You can't argue that. But there's something to be said for the fact that, I mean, you've got Sam Darnold under Adam Gase. That didn't work. No. Mitch Trubisky under Matt Nagy. I would say that Trubisky's just not talented enough to handle... Nagy's system. If you go back throughout history, what you're going to find is that there's a lot of offensive head, offensive-minded head coaches who have failed to develop quarterbacks. And I think some of the, it's an interesting conversation. You know, I'll speculate on it now. I think some of it has to do with their just, hey, my system got me here. My offensive system got me this job. This quarterback better be able to run it. Well, you can go from uh... whereas McDermott walks in and goes, hey, I run the defense. What can that guy do? Oh, he can truck people? All right, I like that. Well, you can throw at, the ball over them there mountains? Sure. Can well, you can some of you other people in this building help fix fix everything else? Well, what about uh Jared Goff? I mean, he started with a Jeff Fisher defensive guy who was Goff was looking like Jeff Fisher is Jeff Fisher is the losingest head coach in football. You can't use him as a corollary. Well, Goff was looking like to be one of the all-time busts, and then McVay came in. Different story. Now now we'll get another story as Goff's in Detroit. How Dan Campbell, I think he played tight end in, mm-hmm. when he was in the league, so but offensive again, guy. But, but there again, you're talking, we'll see about, how, but, but you're talking about this super sharp offensive mind, and Goff was a mediocre quarterback. Yeah. So again, it just you're giving you're adding fuel to my fire here. Again, it's a good conversation. I think that what Allen did last year is repeatable because he materially changed his game. Those mechanics, like you don't unlearn mechanics. I mean, I guess you can, but 
he doesn't strike me as the type of guy to get lazy about that now that he finally harnessed it, especially because he knows the payday that's coming. Like, he wants yeah. that. you got to go out there and ice this if you want to get it. But also, how much of it was Palmer? We're going to find out. Our trenches got more interesting and more athletic. Our staff is wholly intact, and our head coach is one of the, is now talked about as one of the NFL's better head coaches. He's on a long-term deal that'll keep him here. You know, He's settled in. His message has finally taken hold. They've adopted their vision for what this football team is. They're not weeding out players who were maybe the previous regimes or maybe it was circumstance that prevented them from getting what they really wanted. We're going to see their perfect vision for what they want this football team to be. That's what – and Chris, everything they've touched has turned to gold so far. Yeah. there. You know, I think it might have been two weeks ago I was watching The Herd, and it's, this is just a subtle – thing that I enjoyed. They had like one of those bottom line graphics what they were talking about on the herd and then in the bottom left they had three quarterbacks because it was an NFL conversation they were having and one of them was Josh Allen and just for me it just felt nice that to be a part of that oh they're starting to use the bills in these graphics that they're throwing on the screen to talk about the NFL as a whole because we're one of the better teams in the NFL. It just made me feel good inside. As it should. I mean, that's it. We all feel good inside right now today as to what the future holds for the 2021 NFL, for the Buffalo Bills. And I I can't get enough of it. I mean, where else would you rather be than right here, right now? Nowhere. That's the answer. Oh, I'd rather be somewhere else for sure, where you aren't. (laughs) Ah, folks, it's going to be a long summer. But we're going to have some interesting content. We're going to try to keep you all entertained as we wallow our way through a month and a half of nonsense. We'll see you on the other side, but for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been your AFC East pre-summer vacation roundup. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.